Weekend Mornings with Glenn Van Zutphen. Replay from Money FM 89.3. Welcome to Weekend Mornings. Joining us in the studio, Singaporean professional tennis player Sarah Pang, who debuted last week on the Women's Tennis Association WTA ranking. One, two, three, two. Sarah, welcome to Weekend Mornings. Thank you, Glenn. Lovely to be here. So great to have you. And Neil Humphreys uh, joining in. Of course, Neil, a sports journalist, mm. known more for your football uh, journalism, but but you've covered a lot of sports. I've over covered the years. tennis many times. Everything. I've so. interviewed John McEnroe, yeah. Bjorn Borg, some of the highlights of my career. It's my favorite sport. Awesome, awesome. We won't tell your football fans, no uh, readers, that. Uh, but Sarah, let's talk about being a professional sports person in Singapore. Now, this is not a career path that many people are succeeding in <laughs> at this point in time. Uh, of course, over Singapore's development, there have been a lot of uh, there's been a lot of emphasis on academics and and some of the more professional business careers. How is it for you to to come up against that and to dive into professional tennis as a career. Actually, it's interesting you're asking that because there actually are a lot of players, junior players here in Singapore currently who have parents who are super enthusiastic about pushing their kids to be the best players they can be with the hopes of maybe one day turning professional. And when I get asked that question, the biggest thing I always come back to is how you have to finish school. Yeah, <laughs> That's my POV, point of view. Uh, well, which is not a bad thing. I mean, you know, people, you should have a degree in something, right? Yes, and it's not just from a practical Asian parent perspective to be safe and have your safety net up, but it's really because of the nature and the con- the geographical and cultural context in which you might choose this path, in Singapore particularly. I think one of the biggest things that my family made me do before I picked tennis up full-time was, was finish school because that process really taught me how to think critically, mm. how to problem-solve, and that is something in this path is so necessary. Yeah. What, was yeah. your de- what was your degree and what did you study? So um, I went to NUS. I majored in English literature. Mm-hmm. Made a conscious choice in my third year to continue with my honours year because in my head I can do one more year of tennis. It's a very short timeline as an athlete supposedly back then. Yeah. That was a mental model. But one more year of training for my mind will last me my life. So I, I chose to do my honours and that was actually the year that, that everything started to connect in and I started to be able to think along those patterns of critical thought a lot better. And that actually retrospectively really has helped my tennis career for the long run. You know, I'm really enjoying listening to you, Sarah, because it's just so revelatory and so refreshing to hear these pragmatic comments and such critical thinking because you make such a clear distinction that so often in Singapore, there's a very black and white view as if somehow we are suggesting it's either or. It's sports or academia. It's arts or academia. And you're using that critical thought process to say, actually, it's not that, is it? And May schooling who we had on the show last week, said exactly the same thing. Whoever said it had to be either or. It's about the balance, right? It's about balancing the two. So that's my question to you. How do you balance the two, the academia and the sports training? I think it's actually a lifestyle, to be honest. It's who you surround yourself with. It's who you consciously choose to let into your circles. I mean, at this level and the higher I go up, I'm very, very thankful for the great team that I have with me. They support me a lot. And in the whole network is really this sense of love and acceptance. And that's the basis on which I, I have and live and have my being, really. Yeah. yeah. Now, you've been self-funded. You yes. started playing tennis at 19. I know your faith is important to you. Your family is important to you. What role has, has the church, has your family played in, in your support structure, part of your team? 
I like to extend that definition of family beyond just biological to sure. actually my fans as well and, mm. and the random people who have come in and, and jumped on the bandwagon to you know follow me on Instagram or Facebook. Tennis Sarah, that's the monkey. I'll be shamelessly <laughs> <laughs> dropping that here. But what they have really taught me in that process is how it's really not even making ranking or, or results that the heart of why they, they support me. It's really because of who you are as a person and who you are to them and the value, the values that you the, your journey reminds them of. And that's very humbling because I remember when I played the last match and I beat that Rom- uh, beat a Romanian girl to win my last point to make ranking on the WTA tour. There was this one fan friend who turned friend who had come down to support. And of this whole sea of people at Kalang, he was the only one there for my match. Wow. I had a fever that morning. I was sniffly. I didn't want to play that week. And I was up against this tall Romanian girl who was big, strong. You know, she screamed like a Sharapova as uh. girl every time she hit the ball. And when we started, I just kept, I just did not say a word. I just kept chipping at the game and, and just kept my head in it. And every now and again, he'll go, come on, Sarah, you can do it. <laughs> you know? and, and this... And that really made a difference yeah. for you, huh? That made a huge difference. Huh. I beat her 12-10 in the third set. <laughs> wow. and, and, and he was just... Wow. It was his energy. You and know? you needed that win. I needed to confirm that win the to win my ranking. So this is another thing Neil and I have talked about. The sports fans yeah. in Singapore yes. need to step up Absolutely. their game. Yes. You know, Neil was at the FINA World uh, Cup was. yesterday. And okay, a good crowd, but not a great crowd, right? And here you've got global competitors swimming. I, I think a lot of that actually comes down, boils back down to being a responsibility on the athlete's part to engage our okay. community. Yeah. And I think that's something that we need to be really more proactive on. That's something that I, I chose consciously to do when I turned full-time. And there's a reason that, you know, we, we are high-performance athletes. We're meant to perform at the highest levels. But there's also a reason why we're called national athletes. Yeah. We are meant to serve our nation through our sport. Mm. And that's something that, that I feel many more of us need to remind ourselves of. Because in Singapore, we have this whole Paisi syndrome, you know, with yeah. Embarrassed to to be out there to, to stand have that out. Voice. I agree yeah. with you. I agree yeah. with you. It, but it's a real chicken and egg situation, though, isn't it? Because on the one hand, you want national athletes to cheer, uh, but if there aren't any national athletes, there's no one to cheer. Yeah. But my so but my issue is once you do have them, and this is the point I was saying earlier to Glenn, like Joseph Scrawling is here at the moment taking part in the World Cup. We've got to support them as well, right? Yes, you have a responsibility, but it's very much a two way street, isn't it? You have to give something to the fans, and then hopefully the fans will come out to you. It has to be a two-way relationship, doesn't it? Absolutely. So so it's very hard for people to come out and cheer you if they don't know you're competing, if more importantly, <laughs> if they don't know your story, if they don't know the struggles you've been through to get to where you are. You know, too often in the media, what we only see is the result. But mm. it is the, bu- the beauty of the process that really brings people into your journey with them. And you make that point just to, you know, sometimes we're too humble in Singapore. There's too much humility, you know, this whole face-saving obsession. If you've got a remarkable rags-to-riches story, you know, you've, you've persevered. You didn't even start playing until you were 19, for heaven's sake. Yeah. People have won Grand Slams at that by that age quite comfortably. You know, you've gone from 19 to 34, plugging away, plugging away. You should be shouting that story from the from the rooftops, you know. But here's a no, no, don't be so wayang, huh? you, you keep, <laughs> must keep quiet. Huh? No, come on, we, we're not very good at that in Singapore. The Americans are great at it. The Australians are good at it. Maybe too much in those countries, but we sometimes have yeah. to. When we have national stories like that, we've got to really shout about them, haven't we? I think that's that. That I mean, I'll add to that. By nature, I am very shy as a yeah, person, I'm so sure. I've had I've had very good friends tell me before and remind me. My PR guys remind. 
remind me constantly from Blast. They say, Sarah, there's nothing to be ashamed of in your story. They were telling me this even before I made ranking. Yeah. There's nothing to be ashamed of in your story. You have to be proud of what you stand for. And it's an iterative process. But but yeah, I mean, I've come to the stage where I don't really pay attention to the haters. And it's just, <laughs> just enjoying the moment. With yeah. a Singaporean professional tennis player, Sarah Pang. WTA, one, two, three, two. By 4D. There you go. <laughs> By 4D, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Let's, let's talk about the money in this game. Um, sure. You know, you mentioned in, in one of the pieces I was reading, you know, you had an uncle that slipped you $10. You had a lawyer that gave you 100 You had a company that gave you ten grand. Companies especially need to step up in Singapore with our professional sports people and support them, sponsor them, right? We see this so much, especially in, in North America, in Australia. I don't know, you know, other, other places. Companies get behind their, their athletes and, and really make it possible for you to travel, be on the road, whatever, however many, four, five, six months out of the year. To, you can increase your ranking and have your team with you. Yes, that's right. Why is it so hard for Singaporean companies to get behind their professional athletes? And what do they need to do? How much do they need to actually spend? Well, wow, those are many questions. Yeah, <laughs> sorry. sorry, sorry. Yeah, I'm stream of conscious, uh, you no, know, no, Saturday morning thinking about a lot of things. No, right? um, <laughs> Take any one of those in any order. Um, the Singaporean companies, four years ago, I ran my first crowdfunding campaign. Right now, I'm in the middle of my second one because uh, I need backing to get back out on tour. Mm. It's as simple as it is. What the first crowdfunding campaign taught me was that contrary to this Pisces syndrome that we have and and this uh, uncertainty about corporate readiness, there are many, many Singaporeans out there who are willing to help. Mm. And the biggest challenge is getting the word out. Yeah. And even for those who are initially skeptical, all it takes is a sit-down and a coffee and a heart-to-heart to really share with them what this larger vision of playing tour, succeeding, succeeding on the WTA tour, brings to building more of Singapore. Not just within the sphere of sport, but within the sphere of influence, within the sphere of inspiring a next generation of Singaporeans to rise up, mm. take the mantle, and be the best that they can be in whatever the pursuit of interest may be. So that's that's so for me, when I talk to corporate sponsors, it's really not about supporting me on tour. That's secondary or superficial. The deeper route is how we how can we work together to build legacy. Yeah. But that legacy yeah. obviously and that inspiration does come at a cost. I mean, there's no point uh, denying it. For the benefit of our listeners and potential sponsors listening yeah, out sure. there. Well, let's hope there are many. <laughs> oh, absolutely. We are Money FM. What sort of cost for you to go on a tour? You mentioned earlier six, seven months of the year. Maybe you can Actually, put... eight to ten. Uh, sorry, eight to ten months of the year now and you're going to get up into those high 400s yeah. and become Singapore's all-time great tennis player. <laughs> what are the costs involved? Day-to-day, week-to-week, month-to-month? How, how would you frame it? It depends on how big a team you bring with you Mm. on tour. When I talk to people who are in serious funding, they tell me, don't tell me how much it costs to bring your coach with you on tour. Tell me how much it costs for us to get you to Grand Slams. Yes. You know, and to do that seriously with the costs that we have in Singapore, hiring a physiotherapist, the right one, hiring the right coach, hiring a hitting partner, hiring a sports psychologist to work with you, even hiring someone who can help manage all the logistics of sending a team on tour, which is a lot. It can come up to half a million to 600 a year. And this is 
a conservative, let's try and streamline numbers. We're still not staying at official hotels all the time. Mm. But for me, the interest, and then when you pair that down and you say, okay, what's the first baseline bringing your coach with you on tour? That comes to t- up to 200 a year. And this is p- per year, so half yes, a million year. a year to get per to year. the Grand Slam potential. Wow. Half, 600. Right. It depends on the scope of your team. With the level of high performance, there's great variance in the salary packages of coaches depending on who you work with as well. Right. So it's very hard to give a, an estimate, but those are very ballpark figures. 200 to bring your coach with you on tour to do a full tour wherever is necessary in the world to yeah. accelerate through the rankings and then if you add on physio add on uh, sports psychologist add on hitting partner those are additionals as well wow thanks to uh, Sarah Pang who is in the studio with us today great conversation Sarah we wish you all the best in your new WTA you. career we want to see you come down five, yes. six hundred rankings uh, within the next year or so will you come back and see us again? I would love to I've really enjoyed myself today thank you for having me Great, it's been fantastic I've just got one final thing to say to the young Sarah I'm very passionate about this to the young Sarah Pungs listening right now what would you say to them? keep studying keep staying in school the biggest help that has been for my career has been to keep reading constantly and just not limiting yourself just to sport or or your interests but read as widely and as deeply as you can because what you glean now will really help you in your career full stop Singaporean professional tennis player Sarah Pang right here on Weekend Mornings on Money FM To listen to more great interviews download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download the SPH Radio app available on Google Play or the App Store.